Good morning, everyone. Welcome to today's United Health Group second quarter 2021 earnings conference call. A question and answer session will follow United Health Group's prepared remarks. As a reminder, this call is being recorded. Here's some important introductory information. This call contains forward-looking statements under U.S. federal securities laws. These statements are subject to risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from historical experience or present expectations. A description of some of the risks and uncertainties can be found in the reports that we file with the Securities and Exchange Commission, including the cautionary statements included in our current and periodic filings. This call will also reference non-GAAP amounts. A reconciliation of the non-GAAP to GAAP amounts is available on the Financial and Earnings Reports section of the company's Investor Relations page at www.unitedhealthgroup.com. Information presented on this call is contained in the earnings release we issued this morning and in our Form 8K dated July 15, 2021, which may be accessed from the Investor Relations page of the company's website. I will now turn the call over to the Chief Executive Officer of United Health Group, Andrew Whitty. Please go ahead, sir. Good morning, and thank you for joining us. As we discuss our enterprise today, I hope you sense its growing momentum as we advance on our path of improving the quality, cost, and experience of healthcare for everyone we serve. Both Optum and United Healthcare grew and delivered on our long-standing strategy, and we've increased our outlook for the year to a range of $18.30 to $18.80 per share. We continue to prioritize three key themes that we believe will underpin the next era of growth for our enterprise. First, unlock the collaborative opportunities within and between Optum and United Healthcare. Second, increasingly apply technology to improve patient care and experience and to help the system run better. And third, strengthen our consumer focus, capabilities, and value. During the quarter, we accelerated our efforts to develop and deploy new and innovative products informed by the insights of both Optum and United Healthcare. In areas such as oncology care delivery, rare disease drug management, Optum Virtual, Optum Financial Services, and many others. We're doubling down on efforts to both expand and link services where it creates value for consumers and patients to make their healthcare journey easier, simpler, and more intuitive. We constantly challenge ourselves to develop capabilities which lead to improved care, better value, and a simpler system. Our sales to clients and partners across all parts of the health system demonstrate the strong relevance of our innovation. And the strengthening of our sales pipeline is a key opportunity as we emerge from the COVID market pause. A good example of bringing our collective strengths together at scale is the Optum Home and Community Care Platform, through which we care for nearly 10 million people. This platform includes our well-known house call service, comprehensive post-acute care for smoother transitions to home, and integrated primary and behavioral care for Medicare Advantage patients who prefer to receive their care at home. Home and community platform services can reduce post-acute medical care costs by a quarter, unnecessary readmissions by up to a fifth, and hospital admissions by up to 25%. In Medicaid, we're addressing consumer needs by expanding our long-term collaboration with public housing authorities, working with government agencies and community-based organizations to identify and address specific healthcare issues for people who are hard to reach and support. In just the past six months, 
we've introduced new partnerships in over 20 communities to close gaps in care and address health equity challenges. Using data and analytic capabilities, we're able to rapidly identify local health trends and gaps and then work with community partners to inform guidelines, training materials, processes, and create better tools to advance health. We believe this will result in better health for community members and help to optimize limited state resources. These and other targeted initiatives on the social determinants of health are essential elements and illustrative of our natural and long-standing ESG impact. Our recently published sustainability report captures the full range of efforts we've dedicated ourselves to in areas of crucial concern to our stakeholders, none more so than advancing health and health equity. This agenda is an essential part of our way of doing business. I'd like to thank our 330,000 colleagues from across the company for the passion and diligence they show every day in helping to deliver improvements in serving our members, clients, and patients. I have great confidence that we're emerging from the last 18 months of disruption with an unprecedented set of opportunities to help improve the health system for all of those we can serve. And now, I'll turn it over to President and Chief Operating Officer Dirk McMahon to provide more detail on initiatives to drive performance across the organization. Thank you, Andrew. In an enterprise with our breadth of market engagement, we have many ways to assess how we're doing. I'd like to share some of those metrics with you, picking up on Andrew's commentary on our three key strategic themes. First, collaboration. United Healthcare's value proposition is rooted in lower costs, better outcomes, and a better experience. Optum supports this value proposition for United Healthcare and other health plans with ambulatory services which patients and their doctors value. In this quarter, we met the ambulatory surgery needs of over 250,000 patients, delivering exceptional care in convenient and affordable settings, with revenue growth approaching 20% over the non-pandemic affected 2019 second quarter. These centers are meeting higher acuity and more complex needs, such as total joint replacement, spine and cardiovascular procedures, which are performed at an increasing number of centers. Our ambulatory settings receive a consumer NPS of 92, and we deliver better and more consistent quality outcomes at about half the cost of traditional settings. OptumCare has over 1,600 clinics and is rapidly expanding virtual offerings to serve patients in settings where they feel the most comfortable, and importantly, with their own physician. Seniors served by OptumCare under our integrated care approach spend considerably more time with their primary care physicians than seniors in traditional Medicare, and as a result, spend one-third fewer days in a hospital. Second is our strategy to increase the application of technology to improve patient care and help the system run better. We recently announced a partnership with Bassett Healthcare, another strong example of how Optum Insight is helping health systems to expand and scale essential capabilities, including revenue cycle management and digital modernization to improve health outcomes and patients' healthcare experiences. We expect to continue to add new partnerships like this. Also at Optum Insight, we've been tackling the most resource-intensive operations through the deployment of advanced technology and other approaches. For example, 
We have transformed what were once largely manual chart review processes into highly automated operations. Third, we have been hard at work advancing our consumer capabilities. United Healthcare has made significant advances in the management of complex conditions. We're focused on making sure that patients with the highest acute care needs are able to access the most appropriate site of care by assigning them advocates to help navigate the system. Nearly one million of these members are matched with a personal navigator to help them manage and improve their health. OptumRx continues to improve access and affordability of home delivery for patients, leading to significant improvements in continuity of care and having already reduced the cost to process and dispense prescriptions by nearly 20% in just the past two years. Also, along consumer cost savings lines, for those who prefer an in-store retail experience, we now offer tools to find the lowest cost prescriptions near them regardless of the health benefits of their health benefits coverage status. These tools can save self-paying consumers up to 80% on their medications. Consumer preference is also having an impact in behavioral health. Already this year, the Optum Health Behavioral Platform has delivered over 500,000 virtual visits, an option we initiated in just the last year. Many consumers and clinicians prefer these virtual encounters since they offer enhanced accessibility, flexibility, and simplicity. Care encounters delivered through our dedicated channel have a patient satisfaction of 98%. These are just a few of the many initiatives we are ex executing on as we apply technology, data, and analytics to make our strategic growth agenda come alive. We look forward to updating you on our progress over the quarters to come. With that, now I'll turn it over to Chief Financial Officer John Rex. Thank you, Dirk. Our first half performance supports the foundation for strong and expanding growth for the remainder of this year and beyond. Before I review business performance, I'll offer brief perspectives on the pandemic-driven trends we're observing. The core takeaway is that our outlook for COVID-19 impacts is consistent with our past commentary. The second quarter showed overall care activity continuing to trend toward baseline or normalized levels, albeit with variation across lines of business. For example, in commercial markets, care activity was above baseline as members were willing and able to obtain needed care some of which was deferred from prior periods. Our public sector markets continue to run below baseline, even as we are actively encouraging people to get the care they need. We were gratified to see care activity for these populations begin to progress over the course of the quarter as vaccination rates advanced. We continue to estimate approximately $1.80 per share of unfavorable COVID-19 impacts for a full year 2021 and to expect the majority of these effects to occur in the second half. Moving to overall business performance, Optum Health's second quarter revenue and earnings increased 46% and 34% respectively year over year. Revenue per consumer grew by 43%, reflecting the impact of accountable arrangements and our expanding home and community health platform, combined with the growing complexity of the needs we're serving. Of the 20 million patients we serve through Optum Care, over 2 million are in fully accountable or capitated care arrangements, an increase of 17% from a year ago, and we expect this pacing to accelerate strongly in the years ahead. Optum Insights revenue grew 12% in the quarter and earnings grew 36%, with the revenue backlog increasing by $1.9 billion to $21.3 billion. Key growth drivers were managed services, 
the continued recovery of care activity to more normal levels, and further implementations of technology-enabled services. In particular, we are seeing strong sales momentum in the services, software, and analytics businesses, which serve care providers. OptumRx revenue and earnings increased 5% and 19% year-over-year, and script growth was 8%, with this comparison impacted by last year's pandemic-affected care patterns. Our expanding pharmacy care and specialty services continue to grow strongly, now comprising just under half of OptumRx revenues. Turning to United Healthcare, we are encouraged by the receptivity to our expanding set of responsive commercial benefits, centered around virtual first, on-demand, and physician-led offerings. Year-to-date, we have added about 150,000 members in such innovative commercial offerings, even with the evolving and uneven labor market trends which impacted second-quarter membership. Medicare Advantage membership has grown by 675,000 year-to-date, tracking well to our full-year outlook. Our house calls clinicians have been able to provide their vital services to seniors, conducting over 1.1 million home visits in the first half, more than double the year-ago level. People served and managed Medicaid programs grew by nearly 920,000 over the year-ago quarter, in part as state-based redetermination activities remained on hold. Our Medicaid offerings continue to deliver a positive consumer experience and demonstrable cost-effectiveness for our state government partners, and we look for this momentum to build heading into next year. Our liquidity and capital positions remain strong, with second quarter cash flows from operations at $5.5 billion, or 1.3 times net income, and we ended the quarter with a debt-to-capital ratio of 40%. And in early June, our board of directors increased the dividend by 16%. As noted earlier, given the strength of our business performance, we've updated our full-year adjusted earnings per share outlook to a range of $18.30 to $18.80 per share, inclusive of the COVID-19 impact incorporated into our full-year view. Within this, we expect the pacing through the second half to be fairly level. Now I'll turn it back to Andrew. Thanks, John. What we try to provide you with this quarter, as we do each time, is a sense not only of what United Health Group's results are, but how we achieve them. The examples we've referenced and countless others throughout this enterprise, along with the consistent execution by our colleagues, are what underpin our confidence in our long-term 13 to 16% EPS growth rate target, and in our ability to help people live healthier lives and help the health system work better for everyone over the years to come. With that, operator, let's open up the call for questions. One question per caller, please. Alan, over to you. Certainly, sir. The floor is now open for questions. At this time, if you have a question or comment, please press star 1 on your touchtone phone. You may remove yourself from the queue by pressing star 2. Again, we ask that you limit yourself to one question. If you ask multiple questions, we will only be answering the first question, so we can respond to everyone in the queue this morning. The first person we'll take a question from will be Kevin Fishbeck with Bank of America. All right, great, thanks. Um, I guess uh, you guys reported two good quarters in a row, um, but raised guidance both times by less than the beat. Um, you know, you signaled out the dollar eighty headwind, including the guidance. Is there any other kind of major one-time positives or negatives in the guidance that we should think about uh, when thinking about this year 
as a base for how to forecast future numbers? And is there anything, you know, offsetting the, the upside in the first half that we should think about in the back half? Uh, Kevin, thanks so much for the question. Before I ask John to give a little bit more detail, I mean, a couple of things. Obviously, still uh, too early to give you kind of real shaping for 2022, so you won't be surprised we won't go there. Uh, and I would say, you know, the overwhelming story for this year is, of course, the dynamic of COVID in terms of the various puts and takes which are taking place under the surface. And, and uh, as we've done for the last several quarters, we've tried to kind of dimension that within the $1.80. But as we've also said repeatedly, the bulk of that $1.80 sits in, in the rest of the year, the year to go between now and, and the end of 2021. And so uh, really, really pleased with the momentum and underlying performance of the company in the first two quarters of this year, but also respectful of uncertainties that remain around the COVID puts and takes. And, and of course, and that all feeds into how we make the judgment on um, uh, raising the earnings expectation for the rest of the year. I think uh, where I sit, I feel great about that underlying performance. So far, broadly speaking, the COVID dynamic has played the way we would have anticipated, more or less. But there's still a, a ways to go, and there are uncertainties within that. And maybe, John, you might go a little further and take that $1.80 apart and maybe reflect a little bit on how you're seeing those different elements of the driver of that. Kevin, good morning. It's John Rex. Yeah, just to um, get a little further into those. So within the $1.80, we still expect about 70% of, of that to occur within in the second half of the year. So the vast majority, a lot to be seen on how that $1.80 really plays out. Um, keep in mind kind of the main elements that that comprises. It's the direct treatment and testing costs that we would see uh, offset by elective care deferral that might continue to occur or, or not in the, in the rest of the year. The potential for higher acuity for those that have missed or deferred care. And um, at least within 2021, the impact of uh, the care deferrals that, uh, that occurred uh, last year. So those are all, uh, you know, super important components here. Um, within those elements, the, that the things to play out would be most around the direct treatment and testing costs and the uh, potential for higher acuity and, and, and how much a care, care occurs in the back half. The other elements within the $1.80, I would say, are more steady throughout the course of the year. So that point being uh, around uh, care deferral in 2020 and the rev related revenue impacts for 2021, those should be uh, relatively steady. And I would say are running in line with the expectations that were set out for you back in December. So I don't think we've had a surprise on that element um, within our outlook. And I would say the kind of economic impacts also pretty relatively steady over the course of the year in terms of the quarterly progression. So those are really the elements we continue to look for. Um, you're right, look, we saw good strength in a lot of the business uh, growth across the, the platform. Um, really, we could point to every business, but it's that lookout to um, really understanding how those trends play in the, in the second half of the year. Thank you. Uh, thanks, John. And Kevin, thanks very much for the question. Appreciate it. Next question. We'll next go to Josh Raskin with Nephron Research. Hi, thanks. Good morning here with uh, Mr. Percher as well. So our question, again, this quarter is around Optum Care, and I think the question is really, how do you think about the capacity constraints for Optum Care? Is that more on the provider side or gaining consumers, you know, in the totality of Optum Health? And with all of these sort of new options or what appear to be new options available to physicians, how are you uh, convincing docs that Optum is the best solution 
and and lastly, and I know I apologize for this last part here, but is there an argument to be made that Optum Care, and not Optum overall, but just the Optum Care segment would be more valuable to shareholders as a standalone company because of the physician independence issue that comes up? So, Josh, uh, thanks so much for the uh, questions. And uh, before I, uh, I'm going to ask Dr. Decker to make a few comments in, in, a, in a minute or two, but maybe just make a couple of introductory observations. So, first off, uh, you know, I think you're really starting to see Optum Health broadly, uh, and within that, op businesses in particular, Optum Care, and of course, home and community, really starting to demonstrate their capacity for growth because of the uh, scale of the footprint that they now establish across the country. Uh, and I think you're starting to see these businesses move into a kind of critical mass dynamic. Um, that's reflected in its overall growth. It's also reflected in this very rapid expan expansion of Optum Health revenue per consumer up over 40% this quarter. That's reflective of the quality of services which have been delivered and the, and the perceived value that they obviously reflect. Um, so we feel very good about that. Your question around capacity constraints is a really good question. Um, we continue to extend uh, rapidly the number of physicians and clinicians uh, in our organization, either directly or through affiliation. This year we expect to add about 10,000. We're well over halfway through that journey, so going super well on that front. I would say one of the key elements is really making sure uh, that those uh, practices, as rapidly as possible, start to develop the skills to be able to manage capitated risk, which is really what then drives a tremendous amount of the distinctive behavior and value creation for patients and, of course, for the system. That process, I think, has been continually refined. Um, as you would be well aware in the marketplace, people have tried different models. They don't always work super well. Uh, I'll maybe ask uh, Dr. Decker in a second to dive a little bit more detail into some of the work they're doing there to accelerate that dimension of capacity because it's not simply having the practices and the clinicians, it's having that way of working which really drives the change in, in what we're able to do. As far as your last question is concerned, I actually think that the Optum Care Clinics within the broader Optum and UHG organization, that's where some of the magic really sits here in terms of being able to leverage many different aspects um, and, and as you see these elements of Optum Health and Optum Care in particular develop, you're also seeing significant amounts of support and, and, uh, and help, if you will, being provided by other businesses across the organization. Payment integrity, good example, beginning to be adopted by parts of Optum Care. So with, with all of that, I'd like Dr. Decker maybe just to go a little deeper on how we um, move uh, or how we help practices develop the capabilities which allow them to deliver the value we're now seeing. Yeah, uh, thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Josh, for the question. Uh, to, to Andrew's comment, we are increasingly bringing our depth and breadth in value-based care delivery to new markets that have been historically fee-for-service, and you'll see this unfolding uh, right now and over the, the next year or two in markets like the Pacific Northwest and the Northeast where we have consider, we've, uh, acquired and grown considerable clinical delivery assets, <clears throat> but we are now bringing the, the expertise in markets like Texas and Southern California uh, that have been delivering value-based and full-risk capitated care for years. Uh, and so that really is a differentiator for us. And the other piece I'd build on is uh, Andrew's comment around how we are creating 
a comprehensive set of offerings that address virtually every aspect of an individual's healthcare journey, from, from a focus on primary care and keeping you healthy and well, to post-acute care, to end-of-life care and complex care in all environments, virtual, home, and, uh, and in the clinic. And, and that, to us, as we bring that together and connect the dots, is a differentiator in, in all markets. Thanks. Wyatt, thanks so much. And Josh, thanks so much for the questions. Next question, please. Next, we'll go to Ricky Goldwasser with Morgan Stanley. Yeah, hi. Good morning. So um, many of the initiatives that you are putting in place and the assets that you're putting together are, are leading to lower utilization, at least of the hospital setting and a move to um, lower cost setting. Um, so keeping this in mind and uh, when we see the, the lower utilization, on, at least on the public side, um, do you still think that 2019 is the right baseline uh, for utilization? Uh, uh, Ricky, that's a great question. Um, so you're quite right that a lot of what we're, we focus on is, well, first and foremost, to try and understand what is the very best care that an individual needs and to make sure that they get access to that. And one of the big things we've been doing this year is trying to get people, particularly seniors, back into the system, those who may be held back because of the pandemic. And as we, you heard earlier, we're glad to see some of that moving, albeit, albeit some way to go. Now, within that, we also recognize there are a whole series of places where, frankly, there are better, more effective ways to deliver care. I'm going to pick out one very simple example just to build on, on what you described. So if I think about some of the work that's going on OptumRx and within our Optum Infusion business, you can take drugs where perhaps $10,000, $15,000 per treatment for a hospital outpatient, uh, exactly the same drug being delivered by Optum at home infusion, $3,500. I mean, just, just that kind of, that's the kind of impact that we can deliver through really thoughtful application of uh, location of delivery and, and the like. And, and that's just one example. UHC are very much focused on this in much of their guidance, and of course, Optum is building a variety of different capabilities. Having said all of that, I think the reality is, you know, it's very early days, even for us, in terms of changing behaviors against the overall trend of the healthcare system. So I think that baselining of 2019 probably is the right rational piece. Over time, I think these practices will start to uh, bear down on the overall trend of cost. But of course, that's a co that will happen as we see those capabilities spread more broadly, as we see them get more adoption, and as it starts to change the price point in the marketplace. For some of these, for some of these uh, uh, treatments or, or therapies, which are, are frankly overpriced and you know, what our clients are looking for us to do, both through United Healthcare and Optum, are find ways to get great care at lower cost, and that's exactly what we're focused on doing. So, Ricky, thanks so much for the question, and next question, please. Certainly. Next, we'll go to A.J. Rice with Credit Suisse. Uh, hi, everybody. I might just uh, uh, continue to focus on OptumRx. You've got good script growth and a pickup in margin. Um, there, I, there are two things that are sort of impacting script growth, it seems like to me, across some of the companies that are reporting it. Uh, one is how quickly we're seeing the rebound of uh, sort of the acute scripts as people start going back to the doctor and getting new prescriptions. Uh, can you comment on where we're at relative to pre-pandemic levels on that? 
and then vaccines uh, in some of the script reporting is having an impact. I'm not sure that that's relevant for you guys uh, in OptumRx, but uh, can you sort of parse that out in any way? And then I guess just any comments on the selling season for OptumRx and uh, for this year going into next that you see. Yeah, no, listen, that's a great question, AJ. And before I hand it over to Heather Cianfranco, our head of OptumRx, let me just make a couple of introductory uh, remarks. Uh, that 8% script growth, about half of that is, we would estimate, kind of bounce back from the suppression of this time last year caused by the COVID, uh, the initial waves of the COVID uh, disruption. But even having said that, the 4% residual growth is great. And, you know, I, we feel very good about the performance of the OptumRx business across its breadth of businesses. So within the kind of core PBM, but also across uh, all of its various other pharmacy services businesses, which the company's been investing in over the last several years. We did about 10 million uh, vaccine uh, prescriptions, I think, year to date. Uh, to give you a little bit more detail on that and a little bit further into selling season observation, maybe hand over to Heather. Heather, go ahead. Uh, thanks, thanks, Andrew. Thanks, AJ, for the question. So, yeah, I think, as Andrew said, so maybe I'll, I'll take uh, – script volume quickly and then just to finish that off and then maybe uh, talk a little bit about selling season. So um, as Andrew said, really, if you look at, you know, I, uh, whether ours is indicative of other things you've seen, I, um, what I'd say is specific to us, what you've seen over the last year is, yeah, about half of that is the rebound from compression. And the rest of that is really a little bit of vaccine volume. And Andrew gave you the number there, but that really hits volumes for us. Um, you know, more than anything else because of the, you know, the, the, just the, the ratio of, uh, of uh, revenue to, to script there. And then in addition to that, there's uh, continued, you know, double-digit growth in the pharmacy services businesses. So that's making up the bulk of the additional um, growth that you're seeing year over year there. Um, as far as the, you know, the, the split of acute maintenance, et cetera, so I guess I would say, you know, we just had this discussion about what ba baseline is. I guess, again, we're kind of watching this in quarterly progressions. But I'd basically say that we're seeing second quarter looks more like 19 than it certainly did from the looking like second quarter of 2020. And we basically don't see anything unique there as far as acute versus, you know, um, as far as acute ratio, kind of back to what we saw pre-pandemic for this quarter. Um, maybe like, let me switch quickly to selling season. So we're still in the midst of it um, this year. And that's for all segments. That's for employer. It's for health plan, public sector, and coalition. And I'd say generally, you know, same activity, maybe a little different pacing of decision-making right now, but really in the midst of it. The biggest thing I would say about the selling season is clients very interested in solutions to address high cost of specialty drugs, you know, and, and, and um, getting to medications and therapies that really help on the medical and the, um, and the pharmacy side. So for us, we're very focused on those solutions, and we're finding that our site of care services for alternative sites and alternative therapies like biosimilars, together with some of our specialty programs that um, work through Optum Health and OptumRx and straddle the um, medical and pharmacy benefit, are really resonating together with our um, really um, intense clinical client consulting that we're bringing to the market right now. So we're finding that resonating in this selling season, and we think we've got a lot of value to add there. So hopefully that answers your question. Thanks, Heather. Really appreciate yeah, it. I, I might just add, I might just add, AJ, one other dimension uh, that's under Heather's leadership, which is uh, really pertinent to behavioral health. Um, and you know, as I think we all recognize, that's a huge issue across the U.S. I think many of us anticipate 
the COVID pandemic and various uh, impacts from that may well exacerbate some of the, the trend there. Um, but I just wanted to call out the progress of Genoa Pharmacy within that. It's a business that came into our organization two or three years ago. Uh, we're going to open 60 more of those centers this year. We're uh, already up to 582 of those centers. We're well on the way to close to double what we had when they first became part of the organization. And the impact that that um, group has is extraordinary, both from a con consumer NPS score 95, provider NPS score 80, the impact they have uh, in terms of helping improve adherence for highly complex patients, particularly those patients who are served through our Medicaid uh, books of business is super important. So I just want to mention that alongside the other elements of OptumRx, another key part of the growth and a key part of where OptumRx is really helping our Medicaid business deliver really high quality service for folks who need it. Next question. Certainly next we'll go to Justin Lake with Wolf Research. Thanks, good morning. I uh, wanted to follow up on uh, the helpful comments that John gave uh, during the prepared remarks on medical cost trends. So, for instance, John, you mentioned that uh, commercial utilization was uh, back above kind of typical. I uh, would love to know how that progressed during the quarter and kind of how far above typical you saw it coming out of the quarter, what you're thinking for the rest of the year. And then uh, any other commentary on Medicare and Medicaid there. And then also, if you could... Uh, Give us your view on this uh, this new Biogen Alzheimer's drug, in terms of how you think things develop in terms of price, in terms of pricing, and uh, uh, physician take up or patient take up rates, and you know how you think you're going to manage this process uh, would be great as well. Thanks. Yeah, uh, Justin, thanks so much. Uh, I'll address the Alzheimer's drug issue in a second, but first of all, I'd like John maybe to pick up on your uh, your broader MCR questions. Justin, good morning. A little color, perhaps, on how the progression occurred in the quarter here. So uh, as it relates particularly thinking about the quarterly progression that we saw, uh, perhaps not unsurprisingly, COVID testing and treatment costs were highest in the month of April, uh, actually trending up a little bit from what we saw in March. Uh, and that tracks with the incidence rates and the hospitalization rates that we would have been seeing, and then that trending down uh, you know, pretty rapidly in May and June in terms of uh, the, the number of individuals and the tr in hospital beds and the, and the treatment costs. Um, in terms of utilization in commercial populations, interestingly, the, that was also highest in the month of April, um, trending down a bit over the course of the quarter, but still you know, just marginally, very marginally above baseline as we, uh, as we in, in June, as we exited June. Um, just to give you a little color commentary on how that was how that was progressing. So that 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 was really the the, the trending that we saw uh, within that. And um, Andrew, I'll turn it back to you. Yeah. No. Great. Thanks, John. The other thing I'd say, Justin, is there's plenty of noise within those numbers that John just described, right? So you see inpatient, outpatient, physician visit trends different by different books of business. It's it, there's a it's a more complex picture than it looks on the surface. As, uh, as far as the Alzheimer's drugs concerned, I'm going to, in a second, I'm going to ask Dr. Migliori, our chief medical officer, to make a couple of comments on this particular uh, thing. Uh, I mean, overall, bottom line from our perspective is uh, this: this remains obviously a super important area for uh, patients, families to look for progress in. We all want to see that progress happen. I think from where we stand today, there's, 
there's still a lot of information that we need to be able to make uh, really clear decisions. And I think we're not the only ones in that regard uh, looking for greater clarity in this arena. Uh, maybe, uh, Dr. Migliori, you might give a perspective from, uh, from the medical perspective, please. Yes, yeah, thanks, Andrew, and, and you said it well. Uh, it, it, we are encouraged uh, to see uh, meaningful progress being made against this, uh, uh, this devastating disease and advances in its treatment. Uh, we are continuing to develop our clinical policy as well as our ultimate position on coverage, but in doing so, we're looking forward uh, to uh, getting the guidance that we need from, from Medicare and also uh, looking at the continually uh, uh, contributing uh, clinical outcomes that are, that are coming from the clinical evidence that comes from the ongoing clinical trials. But most importantly, uh, we're looking for the advice from those expert professional organizations, uh, the, the physicians who have committed their career uh, to helping people with this devastating disease. Andrew? Yeah, thanks so much, Dr. Migliorian. Justin, I think bottom line is I think this has some way to go before we get to real clarity. So I wouldn't guide you to expect uh, very rapid uh, decision-making on this piece, not because we don't want to see these you know, uh, good, effective treatments be made available. Of course we do. Uh, but it's really important to uh, have a real clear understanding of really how they should be used, what their value is in, uh, in utilization. And as Dr. Migliori said really well, uh, really understanding where CMS uh, get recognized in that the MA population likely to be a very significant fraction of utilizers, we need to understand where all of that sits. So I think this is uh, you know, potentially good news, uh, but it's still early days and we, and we have a lot more to learn before we can be more definitive than that. So can't, can't be too much more helpful at this point, I'm afraid, Justin. But thank you so much for the question. And next question, please. Next, we'll go to Ralph Giacobbe with Citi. Thanks. Good morning. Uh, I want to stick on to that last question. Uh, so, so it sounds like commercial was marginally above baseline for the quarter. Hoping you can give us similar comments on uh, sort of magnitude of how much lower Medicare and Medicaid are. And then also if you could provide any sense of, of magnitude uh, of the rising utilization you embed in guidance at this point for the second half of the year, you know, if you could frame that, you know, just in terms of what normal growth would be and, and you know, maybe what you're embedding or how much higher guidance contemplates. Thanks. Yeah, Raul, thanks so much. I'm going to ask uh, John to re reflect on the second part of your question in terms of uh, forward looking for the second half of the year. Just to nail this first part, though, uh, the commercial book, as you've heard already now from John a couple of times, basically right on baseline, maybe, you know, a hair above, but, you know, right there. And then the two government books of business, you know, a few percentage points below. Um, so I won't go further than that, but maybe, uh, maybe John, you could uh, give some insight into how you're seeing things uh, within the next six months. Good morning, Ralph. So, yeah, so then you blend to a little bit, just a little bit below overall, right, when you blend the books and you weight our books across in terms of what we are seeing uh, in, in, the, uh, in the second quarter. And then, if, as you might expect, that trends up progressively every quarter. Every quarter, we, you, you'd see uh, rising in that overall, in that overall level um, of, of uh, utilization and the expectations as we head into the, uh, to the end of the year. Embedded in that is also a view in terms of what happens with uh, with uh, intensity 
uh, acuity levels. Uh, one comment that's a question that we've often received is what are we seeing currently in acuity levels as we progress? And part of the impact as we progress in the second half is um, an expectation that you do see rising acuity levels. Um, I'll tell you, we haven't observed that yet, uh, but it's still probably a little bit early to say. Um, when we, you know, among the things we look at, we look at new, uh, new cancer diagnoses, new, uh, new cardiac diagnoses. Those are still running below baseline levels that we'd, uh, we'd expect, um, but they're a view to that could uh, continue to progress as we get into, uh, as we get into the uh, back half of the year. Uh, the other element in terms of just thinking about utilization and rising in the back of the year is, and ultimately this is one of the calls, what, also, what occurs with uh, COVID testing and treatment costs. Clearly there's been uh, the, uh, the uh, evidence of a, a, the new variants uh, and uh, their impact uh, in other countries and then also moving into the U.S. And even in our own data, we, we can see that, but I would tell you still um, fairly, uh, fairly limited in terms of, of impact. And as I sit here and look at a number of uh, members of our members that we have in receiving treatment today in hospital today, beds today as we sit here this morning, um, you know, still well below the levels, even we sit here in, in mid-July, what we were seeing in the April levels. But that could be a trend back factor also in the second half of the year as we see that, as we see that progression. Thank you. Oh, John, thanks so much. And Ralph, thanks for the question. Next question. Next, we'll go to Scott Fidel with Stevens. Hi, uh, thanks, uh, and good morning. Um, I want to just ask a question around Medicare Advantage and just interested in terms of what you've been seeing uh, progressing year-to-date around the risk scores and how, how that's been, um, you know, normalizing relative to the, the post-pandemic disruption. And then just also interested if you've received the update yet from CMS on uh, the mid-year risk score updates and if you could share how, how those came out relative to expectations. Yeah, Scott, thanks so much for the question. I'm going to uh, pass that over to uh, our new CEO of United Healthcare, BT. Uh, BT, you and Tim might like to address those two points from Scott, BT. Sure, I'll start. Uh, I, I think as a follow-on, perhaps, this is Brian Thompson. Thanks for the question. Um, to the question around engagement levels, I think the piece that I am most encouraged by is the physician engagement levels, and in particular in our senior communities. We're really seeing strong receptivity, certainly reflective of the vaccination rates, and I think that's really giving us encouraging signals overall, uh, not only to 2022, but just the population and health uh, at large. With that, I'll turn it over to Tim to uh, talk a little bit more specifically about MA. Good morning, Scott. Uh, thanks for the uh, question. Yeah, the um, revenue for 2021 um, and the risk scores that support those are uh, totally aligned with our, our expectation, as John indicated um, in his remarks. And yes, we did receive um, the mid-year payment from CMS, which gives us a more fulsome view into what 2021 revenue is. Um, and again, that, that aligns to our expectations. And at this point, we consider 2021 revenue um, to be pretty complete in terms of what we'll know about risk scores. Tim, BT, thanks so much, Scott. Thanks for the question. Uh, next question. Certainly. Next, we'll go to Dave Windley with Jeffries. Uh, thanks very much. I wondered, relative to, to the, your conversations about um, the relative headwinds, does your view of your ability to recoup the dollar eighty and twenty-two is that influenced at all by the timing of when these things hit, if they do in the second half of twenty-one? Um, uh, should be curious about your uh, comments there, please. 
Yeah, and I'll ask John in a sec to uh, to give you more on this. I mean, first off, obviously, again, we're we're uh, we're not um, going to be really shining a light on our expectation for 22 yet. Uh, uh, having said that, we also think the majority of the dollar 80 headwind will have been utilised this year. Will essentially be non-recurring. Um, uh, of course, that depends on some assumptions around the pandemic itself remaining under control. I mean, so you know that is a an observation which has to be taken in that context, but as we sit today, I think that's a prudent view. John, you may want to go a little deeper on, you know, how each of the elements perhaps you think about. Sure. A uh, few factors on that and how timing might uh, might impact those. So maybe just to refresh a little bit on that, uh, Tim did a nice job describing the impacts in terms of the, the revenue impacts from particularly our Medicare Advantage members being able to be seen by their physicians. Uh, um, we are encouraged by what's going on in our house calls activity, that, you know, it's very strong receptivity to those. BT just mentioned, encouraged by what we're seeing in terms of seniors uh, and their receptivity to even going in and seeing their physicians. That's all super important. Uh, I don't know if timing is so important that on that piece. It just needs to occur during the year in terms of when that activity occurs. So, that would be more the more important factors that relates to 2022. Does it occur in 2021? Do they get in? So that's that's an important that's an important factor. Um, uh, other factors here, I'd say. So there's care that didn't occur in 2020 and probably hasn't occurred in 21 yet that was deferred and needs to occur. So that's more about also an element of does it not occur at all in in, in this year? Um, does, it, w does it work its way into 2022 and, and uh, the potential for that and kind of the resonant impact of whether or not there's an increase in the acuity or from that from those populations that you know those are really kind of the, the main elements I would say in terms of that I would call timing related um, the other elements are more just uh, would be around this this concept around the uh, occurrence of uh, COVID-19 incidents, direct treat, treatment and testing costs, how that progresses over the back half of the year too. But, but those would be the elements that would be sensitive to timing factors. Great. John, thanks so much. And Dave, thanks for asking the clarifying question. Appreciate that. Uh, next question. Next, we'll go to Lance Wilkes with Bernstein. Yes, um, you made a comment about virtual first offerings, um, helping to drive incremental uh, membership growth this year. Can you talk a little bit about what the what the digital first and or virtual first um, offerings look like, and then is that contribution in 21 or and if it is, could you talk a little bit about in the sales cycle how it's looking for uptake in 22? Uh, a great question, Lance. Thanks. I'm going to ask Dirk in a second to make a couple of comments around the uh, overall shift towards uh, digital first, virtual first, and may also uh, ask Dr. Decker to refer to uh, some of further what's going on within Optum Health, which is important around Optum Virtual. Uh, as I've made super clear over the last couple of quarters, really elevating our consumer focus is a top priority for the whole company. Um, and that really speaks to ensuring that we're delivering simpler, uh, more intuitive uh, uh, experiences, that we're thinking about the journey of the consumer and the patient in an end-to-end -end sense, that we're making it easier for them to make all of the various sequential decisions. And we also want to meet the consumer where they want to be met, um, whether that be outside of a facility, in their home, online, or in person. 
Uh, and we also are, we fully recognize how uh, the premium that patients and consumers in particular put on being able to talk to the physicians they know rather than, rather than just any physician. And so how we start to pull all of that together is essentially reflected in many of the different <coughs> initiatives we have. Over the last few quarters, you've seen us build up things like Optum Virtual, Dr. Decker will talk to you in a second, but things like Optum Store just being rolled out under the Optum RX organization really starts to bring together a ton of access for consumers in terms of what they're able to do with us. Uh, with that introduction, Dirk, um, love to get your perspective and then maybe Wyatt, Dirk. Yeah, thanks Andrew and Lance for the question. So, you know, of course we've continued to see uh, telehealth be a broadly uh, desired consumer access vehicle to the health system. We've seen that grow. We're, we're hoping we get to the sort of the next generation and we think a lot of that begins with you know, like, for example, with Optum Care physicians being able to um, deliver that because, as Andrew said, people um, have, a, have a good preference to go to their own physician. The product, uh, with respect to Virtual First, to answer your specific question, um, we plan on rolling that out in uh, eight, nine markets in United Healthcare at the end of this year. Um, what it will basically be is think of it as sort of a virtual PCP with an Optum Care doc being the, the quarterback with uh, United Healthcare uh, Navigate Network uh, backing it up for the physical access. So um, we're, we're starting to sort of what I would refer to as productize this, and um, we're, we're hopeful it will which will aid to uh, United Healthcare's commercial growth. Thanks. Dirk, thanks. Uh, Wyatt, would you like to just give a little more on uh, Optum Virtual and what you've been building inside Optum Health? Yeah, uh, thanks, Lance, for the question. Uh, we are bringing together uh, the, the virtual care experience that we stood up rapidly during the pandemic uh, with over 18,000 providers onto, as, as Dirk mentioned, a next generation technical solution that we've created, which uh, creates the opportunity to seamlessly onboard and, and triage an individual virtually so we make sure they're getting the right care in the right environment, whether that's virtual, physical, or a behavioral health care need. Uh, and, and we believe that that is a, a differentiated patient experience. And the second, which Dirk mentioned, but I'll underscore, is a focus on primary care delivery and keeping people tethered to their trusted and known providers. Uh, and, and as this matures, we're live today in all 50 states, to be clear, and we'll continue to roll this out in a more comprehensive way uh, to our Optum Care patients as well as uh, members of uh, UHC and other payers, uh, and uh, look forward to continued conversations about our capabilities here. Thank you. Thanks, Wyatt. I think, Lance, just to close this out, uh, this is, I, I'm, I'm excited about what's been built in Optum Healthy. If you think about this uh, build-out of ambulatory clinic facilities and other attendant services, perhaps in the pharmacy space, you think about the home and community agenda, really investing to make sure that folks who want to, to spend as much time at home as possible are able to do that. And then you see Optum Virtual essentially pulling all of that together. This, the, you've got to think about this as all three of those elements essentially uh, all at play at the same time. A very, uh, I think it's a very important step forward. It gives us a really significant opportunity to, to ensure that we deliver much more seamless experience, we're much more responsive to consumer need, and we can focus on bringing costs down, delivering better care. That's what we, we really believe we can do here. This is, this, you're going to hear a lot more about this. It's uh, an important step up in the energy around our Optum Health strategy. Um, 
we just have time, I'm afraid, for one last question. So, Alan, if you could ask for last question, please. Sure. We'll take our last last question from Matt Borsch with BMO Capital Markets. Okay. Uh, thank you. Um, you know, I, I realize you're parsing through uh, everything that happened last year and now the, you know, catch-up and care this year. Are you getting a perspective uh, yet on how much of the care um, was unnecessary that would have happened uh, but, you know, is, is not actually going to occur? And I guess you put that in two categories, care that, you know, you can see in hindsight uh, was unnecessary, but maybe it was necessary at the time because the person didn't know and care that was, that was you know, just, just unnecessary uh, proactively and in hindsight. Yeah, Matt, thanks so much for the question. It's a really, it's a good, it's a great question. And you would have to expect that the answer is that some of it would have been unnecessary. I think at this distance, it's a little hard to really call that at this point. I mean, there are, there are some tantalizing signals in some of the trends. So if you look at emergency department use, for example, uh, it looks pretty sustained down and doesn't seem to be coming back. And, and certainly if you look at our advisory board, surveys that we're running with, uh, with many, many non-UHC providers and institutions across American healthcare, people don't, a lot of people don't expect that ED utilization to come back. Now, that may be because they were being unnecessarily used. Maybe folks have realized that urgent care centers are a much better option. Maybe virtual is a much better option. They can get what they need at much lower cost. So, uh, whether it's unnecessary, whether or not the pandemic has disturbed people's allegiance to certain types of sites of care, and people are a little bit more open-minded about where to go, all of that, I think, is in play. I would say it's premature to call it. Uh, I think, you know, we're, we're watching it really carefully. Uh, you know, I could, I could build those theories I just shared with you. Uh, I'm not going to tell you that those are proven. I think there's, there's tantalizing signals in the data. It's going to take another six, 12 months before you can really settle out how this all plays. But Matt, thanks for the question, and we'll probably loop back on that one uh, again, I'm sure. Uh, listen, everybody, I, I want to say thank you for all of your attention today, for your participation. Very much appreciated. And uh, we hope very much that what you've heard from our team gives you a flavor of why we have such confidence in the outlook for our company and in the ability of Optimum and United Healthcare separately and together to improve the lives of those we serve and the health system overall. And with that, I'd like to say thank you very much and to close this morning's call. That does conclude today's conference. We thank everyone again for their participation.